the Apollo Podcast Network. All right, hello and welcome to Cash Landing, the show where uh, we fall ass backwards into the money and you get richer just by listening. I, as always, am your host, Ben, joined by my esteemed co-host as we watch some nighttime playoff baseball, Aaron. Aaron, how are we doing tonight? Uh, we're doing pretty good. Uh, you know, we might be doing a lot better by the end of this podcast. We might not be. We are recording this um, as the Dodgers and Padres are in the bottom of the six right now. It is late Tuesday night. All the other games have ended. But yeah, I mean, I'm excited to be back with you, Ben, talking about a little bit of football reaction from last week and then a lot of baseball talk. Yeah. And so we're just going to hop right into it with the review of our football weekend. Uh, I will go ahead and not bury the lead here. Our football bets did not go particularly well. Actually, mine did not go particularly well. I uh, I had an, I had another losing week. It it hurts, but but I I believe in my strategy wholeheartedly. I believe that it'll pay off over the course of over the course of sixteen weeks. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this. And I'm I'm gonna go get it next week. So, uh, Aaron, I'm gonna let you talk a little bit about your week because mine was just not very good. Yeah, I mean, we know it's a long season. There's going to be ups and downs. Um, overall, I was able to hit my big teaser, which was the Bucks, Chiefs, and Packers. They all came through and won for me. The Bucks was looking pretty sketchy there for a while because Justin Herbert was out there doing Justin Herbert things, just throwing these beautiful deep balls. But uh, you love Justin Herbert, man. <laughs> dude, I'm in on Justin Herbert. Have you? I mean, you've seen the highlights of the deep yeah. passes, right? That's a beautiful deep ball. No, I mean, not even highlight. I mean, I've been, you know, I've been watching the games and I, I, he definitely looks good. I, I don't disagree with you. I just, I just think it's funny how, not even funny. It's just, it's adorable the way that you've, you've bought in. Dude, when you're a Chargers fan, there's, you have to buy into something or else it's just pain. But yeah, <laughs> he, he ended up not ruining my teaser. So I ended up winning a big $12.50 on the week. So yeah, you guys can go buy yourself a nice little double cheeseburger from Waterburger on me. Uh, with all your winnings from the week. Uh, tough week for Ben. He took some L's. They weren't all, I mean, he had some bad beats in there, but yeah, overall on the season now, I'm up $88 and Ben is down a, a nice 443. Uh, that'll be 443. But I know Ben's going to come back. I know he has confidence and I know we're going to dig out of this hole that we've put ourselves in early in the season. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I have, there's a method to my madness. I'm not going to completely switch up the formula and panic just yet. I think that's the worst thing you can do. I'm going to I'm going to keep at it. Definitely chip away at this at this deficit and by the time we look up 16 weeks later or 14 weeks later, I'm just going to be I'm I'm going to look back at, at this moment and laugh, I'm sure. Yeah, I hope so. You say you're not going to uh, change up the formula whatsoever, but look, I'm going to say this with absolutely like no disrespect <laughs> at all. I don't I don't want to throw any shade at you. Then all I have is kind words to say about you. You're my co-host. You're my buddy. You're a wise guy. But maybe you could stop putting these winless teams and your can't-lose parlays for just like one or two weeks. The record seems to indicate that they, they can or, and are very capable of losing. I'm just – you're going to be very upset with me this weekend then because I am really confident in the Texans against the Jaguars this week with no more Bill O'Brien to, to hold them back. Oh, and four Texans making a return to the can't lose parlay. <laughs> I don't know about can't lose parlay. I might just bet it straight up because yeah. 
I was I feel roughly as confident in the Texans against the Jaguars as I did the Bengals against the Jaguars, and I just bet that straight up, and that was my one win of the week. I should probably just start betting straight up more often, but uh, you know, whatever. We'll we'll figure that out when we get there. I got a lot more research to do between now and and when we record on Friday. Yeah, we will definitely be making adjustments uh, to our betting throughout the season, as any sharp people do. But uh, we also gave out some DFS plays, and it was kind of a weird DFS week. A lot of the plays we gave out, you know, ended up not going off, but also not completely busting. Um, I know I hit my cash lineup. You know, tournaments were kind of meh. How how did you end up doing this weekend? I I cashed both tournaments. Uh, one was just min cash. The other one was slightly above min cash. I didn't hit anything big either, but also didn't lose any money. So it was a decent weekend. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick worked out for me. I was almost made fun of a little bit, but he came through with 26 points at $5,400, which is, you'll take that every single time. Um, Mike Davis came through yet again for Carolina, Ronald Jones with no Leonard Fournette. Uh, he was absolutely freed like we thought he would be. And then, uh, yeah, Ben, I'll let you talk through some of our wide receiver hits that we, that we gave out. Yeah, so we gave out three wide receivers that we thought were pretty much locks, which were Galladay, Fuller, and Parker. And if you played all three of those, like I did, you probably cashed your tournament lineups. You probably didn't, you know, hit the big, the big prize pool either. But you probably cashed them because that's what I did, and I cashed both of mine. Adam Thielen was a pretty good call for me. We, me and Aaron had a gentleman's bet going of Adam Thielen versus Robert Woods. Uh, I won that, so I'm we're now one and one on the gentleman's bet. He got me on an Eddie Rosario home run and. What was that episode two? Yep, Eddie was, Rosario versus Christian Yelich. Yeah, that was. I mean, that was a good call by you. I can't even hate it. But Adam Thielen sort of went off. I think he had he had twenty nine fantasy points this week, and I sort of knew he would do that against the soft Texans defense. I will. I will say, Fuller, Parker, and Rojo. We were pretty in on those guys, and those guys are the ones that carried me to the money. So if you played Fuller, Parker, and Rojo, I think you were you were having a good time. If you found a way to slot Mark Andrews in there, you were having a great time, but I did not. Yeah, I was going to say, you definitely gave out Mark Andrews, but you know it's not easy to fit a high price tight end in every single lineup. Um, we did miss on a couple guys, have to mention that. Josh Josh Jacobs, um, the ceiling hasn't really been there as of late. Not sure why. Not going to give up on him for the rest of the season by any means. Um, I was wrong about Miles Gaskin. He just didn't have a great week. Robert Woods cost me the gentleman's bet, and then I – yeah, what happened to Brandon Cooks, Ben? That was that was weird. That was weird. He just wasn't involved, and I I don't really even know what to say about Brandon Cooks. But I I did only say he was a, a tournament flyer. If you really didn't believe in Fuller, it's not like I was fully bought in in a cash game or anything. But yeah, Brandon Cooks just disappeared. Yeah, and then it was it was mostly Devontae Parker and no Mike Gesicki for the Dolphins' offense. But overall, kind of a mad week. But I mean, we're. I think we're all pretty pretty on top of things. We're digging deep into the numbers. We're starting to get a feel for what some of these teams like to do. So I'm pretty excited for our next podcast where we get to break it all down again. Yeah, for sure. And just general football-wise, you got anything from the weekend that really stood out to you? Yeah, I didn't think there was too much that stood out to me this weekend. Um, the Monday night game specifically, you know, I had the Packers in that teaser that I gave out on the show and when it was no Devontae Adams, I got a little bit concerned because I was kind of counting on Devontae Adams to play. So then all of a sudden I look up and there's no Devontae Adams. There's no Alan Lazard. But, I mean, my main takeaway was I really like this Packers team. I like how they were able to move the ball without those two receivers. The defense is just good at making plays when they need to make plays. They have a pass rush, and they're just good situational defensive team. 
I think Rogers just looks really locked in right now. I like Aaron Jones. I my biggest takeaway is I think the Packers are probably the best team in the NFC right now. If I had to pick a team right now, yeah, I have some Seahawks fans friends who are not thrilled about the the prospect of if they don't win the division having to go to Green Bay in the playoffs, and I I don't blame them. I think Aaron Rodgers is probably my favorite for MVP right now, and I say that as a man with every reason to say that Josh Allen is my MVP right now, but. Aaron Rodgers is just doing more with less, I think. And the, the the Packers look great. I definitely agree with you on that. I also totally agree with you that when I made my my Falcons money line pick with just sort of on the Hail Mary, when I saw that Devonta Adams was out and both Julio and Ridley were playing, I was like, maybe I got a chance. But then Julio got hurt anyways during the game and, and the Packers just showed up in a way that the Falcons definitely did not. Yeah, uh, classic Falcons didn't even show up for that one in a must-win game. You got to wonder when Dan Quinn is finally going to get fired. Uh, <laughs> you remember last year when we did the whole thing about Dan Quinn's <laughs> children having to switch schools? That was really good. I totally forgot about that. Uh, I don't know why I just I, thought of that. but there. I can't believe he still has a job. Bill O'Brien, I mean, we should probably talk a little bit about Bill O'Brien getting fired. We didn't even write it down on here, but it's definitely, I mean, that's that's big because he ran the Texans franchise into the ground for the next three years probably, and he should have been fired directly after blowing that 24 point lead to the chiefs in the playoffs last year, but instead they let him go. zero and four and got the roster first. And all I got to say is at least they did it. I really thought they were going to let him roll out the whole year and end it, end it four and 12 and then fire him. Yeah. Uh, one of my main takeaways was I just immediately thought of like all the recent Houston sports franchises that have been all like pretty solid lately, but We've got the Rockets. Mike D'Antoni's gone. Uh, the Astros, they lost their GM and their coach, uh, Lunau and Hinch. And now the Texans just lost their coach and their GM, which were both Bill O'Brien. So I guess Daryl Moore is the only one left of this kind of recent uh, coaching and front office run for Houston sports teams. It's kind of wild to think about. Yeah, it is nuts. And the Bill O'Brien coach GM thing was just ridiculous to begin with. I don't even want to. I, it re- it drove me away from the Texans franchise. Honestly, what they did is is just ridiculous, and and I think that the Texans will be better for it going forward. I don't know if the play calling will get much better. Now they're stuck with David Johnson, and they're going to have to scheme for him, even with a transcendental talent into Deshaun Watson. But but it is what it is, and I I fully expect Dan Quinn to be the next one fired. I mean, we we did that segment on Dan Quinn's children having to pack up and move schools. <laughs> Uh, like a year and a half ago, and he's still here. The kids are at the same school with the same friends. <laughs> you think they're you think every day when Dan Quinn's kids come to school, their friends just kind of look at him like, oh man, this could be their last week. But then they just keep coming back and they're kind of mad because they want the Falcons <laughs> to do better, but they're happy because their friends still. I don't know, man. It seems like a weird situation for. I don't even know if Dan Quinn has kids, but if he does, that's an awkward situation. Yeah, definitely. And and speaking of coaching and and coaching changes, I have no idea. I, I think that the NFL is, or football in general, is a sport that relies the most on coaching. I think that that coaching in the NFL is more important than in any other sport. And if you if you get a Belichick, your your franchise is is automatically in a much better situation than if you get premium talent players. And I have no idea what to think about either the Browns or the Cowboys anymore. After that game, the I, I don't want to say I believe in the Browns now just because they they beat the Cowboys so convincingly, but but 
they schemed, they out schemed the Cowboys in every way. All of those trick plays worked to perfection. That's just stuff that Freddie Kitchens would have never dreamt of doing. No, the coaching for the Browns has been one of the most notable things to start the NFL season, I would say. Just they're doing so much less dumb Brown stuff in general. The play calling is so much better. It's good on the goal line. They're getting different guys involved. They're actually getting their playmakers in space. And man, when it comes to the Cowboys, it feels like we're just kind of watching the exact same team that we've been watching for the past 10 years, just with the even worse defense. I don't know. I mean, Mike McCarthy, is he just just a fat Jason Garrett? I don't know. (laughs) Is he a fat Jason? I mean, that's the thing. It's not like Mike McCarthy ever did anything in Green Bay to make me think that he was a very good head coach besides let Aaron Rodgers be great. And I don't think Dak Prescott has the same talent level as Aaron Rodgers. I think he's a very good game managing quarterback who will make the right decisions and and make a couple plays with his legs, but he's not the gunslinger Aaron Rodgers by any means. No, he's not, but uh, man, he's definitely garbage time fantasy points. He's our guy there. Yeah. That's obviously so full disclosure. Aaron and I have Dak in our, in our combined league and, just getting the 50 burger from garbage points is really nice every week. It's been absolutely, it's been huge, but yeah. So I think, I mean, one of my main things is every single Cowboys game is just going to be the same for the rest of the year. Like that's how all the games are going to go. They're going to fall behind and then Dak's either going to bring them back or he's going to almost bring them back in garbage time. And that's just going to be the whole Cowboys season. Yeah. I, I would not be surprised. And besides that, I don't really have much more to say on football. You have anything else before we, this is supposed to be a baseball pod. You want to get into baseball or you got anything else? Dude, let's get into the baseball. Your Astros are up 2-0. I'll let you, I'll let you uh, take the floor with that one. Yeah, please, please let the record show the court stenographer. I hear you typing in the background. Please let the record show that I was out there on Twitter in these streets. I was saying to bet the house on the Astros game two money line. They were slight underdogs against Sean Manaya. Shamanaya has horrible peripherals. He has a 45% hard hit rate. Everybody hits this man. He just gets lucky with the placement sometimes, and he's he doesn't walk people, so he can get through six innings occasionally. If we did like Tuesday bets and not it wasn't weekend bets, if I knew on Friday that Shamanaya would be throwing game two against Framber Valdez and the Astros would have been underdogs, I would have put all $500 on the Astros, and I would have come out of it a winner. And I feel vindicated because I have just been absolutely shit-talking Sean Manaya all week, and he gave up the home runs. I absolutely love how confident you were in that pick and that it actually came through for you because usually when people are that confident about a baseball game, something just goes horribly wrong. But that was not the case, man. It This just kind of feels like the Astros of old to me. I mean, all the usual suspects are back at it. You got Bregman going yard on Bregman Day. Uh, Correa's back. Springer. We need to have a serious Springer conversation here in a little bit. But, man, <laughs> uh, the pitching staff for the Astros, that feels like the story of the playoffs so far with the starting rotation and the bullpen. But, man, I mean, just my biggest takeaway is this feels like the old Astros, and I think they might be headed back to the World Series. Yeah, and Framber Valdez has just been a revelation. October is now Framber's month. I just want to speak to the pitching staff. I mean, it is, it is honestly, it's a now apparently hurt Zach Greinke who's dealing with arm soreness. He, he did just throw after the game yesterday. I don't know if he's good or not. There hasn't really been a report, but the fact that he's at least throwing is is good. But Ar- Granke's now dealing with arm soreness, so it's a hurt Zach Granke, 
and then just a bunch of MLB The Show created players who all signed for $10,000 out of the Dominican Republic five years ago and just went through this player development system and came out of the other side with all of them have like at least one super plus pitch, which is amazing. For Kitty, it's the changeup. For Valdez, it's the curveball. For Javier, it's the fastball. It's seriously nuts. I never thought Framber Valdez would be throwing seven innings in a playoff game. He couldn't even throw strikes last year. Dude, he can put that curveball wherever he wants it. He just he can flip it up there. He can put it outside to a righty. He can put it back foot to a righty. He can put it anywhere he wants to a lefty. I mean, just the command of the curveball gets him through seven innings in itself, and that's truly incredible that he can do that, just dominating with that one pitch. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 nuts. And the fact that it's Bregman Correa Springer who are who are sort of putting the team on their back right now, especially Springer. I mean, it, it definitely feels good to me. I could see why people might not like it very much. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think it's hilarious. I want Jake Springer, uh, Jordan, uh, George Springer. Holy crap. Jordan, Jordan Springer. <laughs> jo- whoever it is, man, I need him in a Diamondbacks jersey immediately if that's how he's going to hit in Dodger Stadium. Because Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. He's He's gone. He's gone somewhere. I'm sure they're not re-signing him, and they can't. So maybe he is going to the Diamondbacks. I don't know. Yeah, he's the Diamondbacks also are broke. But speaking of the Diamondbacks, when before game one, when I saw Jake Lamb was sitting third for the Oakland Athletics, I mean, we already talked about how we were leaning Astros, but – when Jake Lamb was hitting third in game one, it was over. I mean, that was just dagger before the first pitch was even thrown. Astros are in the ALCS. I mean, Jake Lamb getting three-hole. I still think he's the worst hitter in the majors. Get out of town, dude. Speaking of the new athletics three-hole hitters, Chad Pinder was hitting three-hole against the lefty Valdez so that they could get the righty matchup. And that man hit a baseball to a place where right-handed hitters should not physically be able to hit a baseball. Daytime Dodger Stadium is ridiculous. These balls are flying so far. No, I mean, obviously, as a fan of a team in the NL West, I have watched a lot of Dodger Stadium baseball games. I mean, my two main takeaways is I don't think I've ever seen a right-handed hitter hit a ball where Chad Pender hit that baseball. And I've noticed this over the years, man. Daytime Dodger Stadium is a like top-level hitter's park, and late-night Dodger Stadium is a Definitely a pitcher's park. It's two completely different stadiums, uh, daytime and nighttime. But, man, that was a nuke by Chad Pender. I mean, that just can't even be forgotten, even though they lost this game. Is this a, is this a data corroborated thing, or is this, a, is this an eye test thing? This is eye test. I haven't actually looked at it, but I'm just watching a lot of games at Dodger Stadium. The ball really does fly there during the day, it seems like. I would be interested I, if we should actually do the research. Yeah, we, we definitely should do the research, and I'll, I'll try and come back with an, with an actual answer next pod. But... Yeah, you know, even the announcers are talking about how they've never seen the ball fly. Dusty Baker saying he's never seen the ball fly like this. Daytime, I, I mean, I don't think the balls are juiced or anything. I just think it's a, it, it is daytime Dodger Stadium is a little ridiculous. But I, speaking of the ball flying all over the yard, I mean, Sean and I gave up some home runs. Lance McCullers gave up some home runs. Farmer Valdez gave up some home runs. The Athletics are throwing Jesus Lazardo in game three. I saw Jesus Lazardo warm up in the bullpen when the game was close today and now he's slated to start game three. So they must either really not trust him anymore or they really believe in their rotation depth. If Lazardo is going to be swinging from bullpen to starter. And I just, I have like a real question of what happened to Jesus Lazardo. I thought this guy was their bona fide ace and now he's like questionable to start game three. 
Yeah, I don't really understand because everything I've seen from him, he's been, you know, he can have some short starts every now and then, but he is their most dominant pitcher. I mean, he is definitely the guy with the highest upside. He's the guy that is most likely to go out there and kind of win you a ball game from a starting pitcher perspective. Um, As far as him warming up in the game today, I think that was probably more of a situation of if they have a chance to shut the door in this game, they're going to do whatever they have to do to win game two. And then when that seemed like it wasn't going to be the case, they just kind of pulled the plug and they were going to save him for game three. So I would guess that's what happened there. But not starting him in you know game one maybe is understandable, but starting Shamanaya over him in game two, I don't I don't think I'm going to understand that one. Yeah, I, I don't think I'll ever understand that one. Lazardo is just a better pitcher than than Manaya easily. Like I don't even think it's close. And and I'm I'm a little scared about the Lazardo versus Urquidy game. I think Oakland could definitely pull this one out. If I was going to bet on it, I don't I I mean I would probably stay away just because I'm my fandom is getting in the way a little bit, but. If you, if you force me to go one way, I might go the Oakland way. Yeah, it's another basic toss-up. The Astros are just the slightest of favorites, so it's another 50-50 call from what Vegas is saying. But, man, we talked about Shamanai getting the start today. That, of course, did not work out. George Springer deposited even more baseballs into the bleachers of Dodger Stadium. And, Ben, it's time to update our sports persona power rankings. Uh I'm going to let you go ahead and tell me where Dodger Stadium George Springer slots in for you, and then I'll kind of give out what I think. All right. You you want me to list the, the options, or you want to list the options? Uh, you can list the options in whatever order you think you have them in, and then I'll go with mine. All right. I think it goes it goes Game 6 Clay is number one. I think it goes Utah Nightlife James Harden is number two. I think it was Gang Sign John Wall as number three. At number three. <laughs> At number three. That man is a problem. Then it's Dodger Stadium George Springer. Then it's Untucked Kyrie. Then it's Thanksgiving Mitchell Trubisky. RIP to his starting job, by the way. Then in like 115th place, it's Pandemic Paul Playoff Paul George. <laughs> Pandemic P. And then in like 619th place, it's Playoff Clayton Kershaw. All right, so we're we're in agreement here on a lot of them. I'm, I was a little surprised to hear you still agree with me on Game Six Clay. I thought that was maybe me just being biased, but I've got- honestly, I, I went and watched like rewatched. Or I didn't even search it out. It was just on my YouTube algorithm. There was the highlights of of Clay's Game Six performances, just like YouTube clips, and I I went and rewatched him, and I was like, yeah, this man is insane, dude. It's a different monster, Game Six Clay. He's number one for me. Utah nightlife James Harden. Look, he's just locked in. He we we just kind of think of it as he has no distractions the night before the game. But I think there's also something to be said about during the game. He's not out there thinking about where he's going to go party after the game. He just he knows he has no other options but to go back to his hotel room, like order a soup and watch The Office on Netflix. So I think that also plays a role into what makes Utah nightlife James Harden so elite. I actually cannot imagine James Harden sitting in his hotel bed with like a cup of like wonton soup, just <laughs> with the with the office theme playing in the back. Dude, I, I mean, what else is there to do in Utah? I think that's James Harden's go to Utah routine. That's what makes him so <laughs> dominant. But uh, I have Dodger Stadium, George at number three, followed by Untucked Kyrie, and then Thanksgiving Mitch. We're really gonna need. Uh, I haven't checked the Thanksgiving slate yet. If the Bears aren't on it, that's a crime scene. 
And then I'm going to go gang sign John Wall at six just because it's the worst contract in the NBA, followed by Pandemic P and playoff Kershaw, who will be seeing tomorrow night. But yeah, I think, man, Dodger Stadium George is making a run up the leaderboard for us. Yeah, I I mean, there's a there was a stat going around where George Springer now has more home runs at, at Dodger Stadium than or more. I'm sorry, more playoff home runs at Dodger Stadium than like all the current Dodgers which is hilarious. Dude, that's actually so funny. And then what else was hilarious? Uh, the picture was circulating on Twitter. There was a shot during the game of Matt Olson on the bench. You mentioned he looked like he was about to cry. I was getting some serious uh, sad Kershaw playoff vibes on that picture, dude. It just, it looked he, like sad Kershaw. He really, it's, it's amazing. This is now like three years in a row where the Astros have made somebody cry. There was, there was Tyler Glass now last year. <laughs> Well, I guess 2018, they didn't make anybody cry, but there was Tyler Glass now last year, and then 2017 was, was Kershaw, and now there's Matt Olson. I mean, he legitimately looked like he was going to cry, and then I thought I was the only one who saw it, but then I saw Bleacher Report went ahead and posted like a picture of it, and there was a graphic right below it that said they were 0 for 16 or whatever with, with eight strikeouts at that point, and it was just like, man, it's a rough hitting slump, and I was like, yeah, that's, that's rough. Yeah, the graphic being there in the shot is what immediately made me think of the of the Kershaw picture of him just <laughs> sitting dejected on the bench and it just has like his outing above his head with like the point one innings pitched and the two home runs allowed. I just immediately thought of that picture of Sad Kershaw and oh man, that was the shot of the playoffs so far. Just very, very sad Matt Olson. It's yeah, no, it's so good. And as much as I Hate to admit it, there were other playoff games that happened today, so we should probably go ahead and get to those. I'll stop hogging the time with my Astros, but the Atlanta Braves they uh, they went ahead and took Game One against the against the bottom feeders. So I'll, I'll let you go ahead and take take that. Yeah, the Braves looked pretty good today. Uh, we were kind of waiting for the offense to break out, and that happened today, led by Travis Darno of all people. But I don't know. One of the main stories in this game was Acuna. He hit an absolute nuke uh, to lead off the game in his very first A-B, and then he got drilled in the ribs his next at-bat. He was really mad about it. The Braves manager was really mad about it, but I'm, I want to defend the Marlins here. Look, you literally have to pitch Ronald Acuna inside. He drives ball to center field. He drives the ball to right field better than pretty much any right-handed hitter. The ball that he hit to lead off the game was a home run to the opposite field. The Marlins, you're up three runs in a playoff game. You're not really trying to give away free base runners. And then, Ben, me and you have both watched a lot of Sandy Alcantara this year. The man misses arm side with this fastball more than anyone in the league not named Robert Ray. So I think Acuna and the Braves kind of need to relax a little bit. Yeah, I, so I agree that it was, it was pretty clear it wasn't intentional. But I'm going to stick up a little bit for Acuna and the Braves. To be fair, that's like the fifth time that a Marlin has hit Ronald Acuna right after he went just absolutely Yaga off one of them. And so, I mean, he definitely has every right to be upset. I would say he, he is well within his rights to be upset. I also just want to say great job by both sides involved in, in talking that shit. So Sandy hit Acuna. Acuna said something. Sandy said something back. It, it didn't really escalate too much in the game, but then after the game on Twitter, Acuna said something like they hit me because they can't get me out, which is, a little true. And then Sandy said something about if, if Acuna wants to fight, I'm ready to fight. And I love that. I mean, that's why we had, that's why Aaron and I had had Sandy on our, on our fantasy baseball team. The, yeah. uh, 
that that fight right there, that fire. So I, I agree. He he definitely just missed. I mean, the catcher was set up inside. He definitely just missed arm side, but it is 97 to the ribs and you're going to be pissed about it. And I'd be pissed about it too. You think we ever get Sandy going just like full Amir Garrett and just taking on the Braves one on 30? <laughs> I don't think he has that. Amir Garrett is certifiably insane. So I don't think, <laughs> I don't think Sandy has all that. I do love Amir Garrett though. He's probably one of my favorite like baseball players in the league right now. Yeah. I did enjoy the post game back and forth on social media. Cunha also, he dropped the Conor McGregor uh, quote, like, I'd like to take this time to apologize to absolutely nobody. <laughs> and then, of course, Trevor Bauer tried to get involved, which is lame. Just, just yeah. Trevor Bauer, you had a good year. That's enough. Like, you're Bauer out. started, like, preaching on it. I was like, oh, man, shut up, man. It's like, you, we can go a day without Trevor Bauer being involved on Twitter, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. But but anyway, I mean, so the, the Braves showed up and and I think we probably we probably both agree that the Braves are the more complete team here we both had the Braves winning this series but but tomorrow it's it's Ian Anderson against who are the Marlins are the Marlins pitching six no Pablo Lopez that's right so yeah. I, mean, I don't really know what to even make of that starter matchup because Ian Anderson is something of an unproven commodity and Pablo Lopez has been good but he's a little unproven as well yeah, I actually like uh, Ian Anderson a lot. We'll get to that later when we talk about the four-game DFS slate. But, I mean, both teams kind of knocked out the starter early in the game. I mean, the Marlins got to Max Freed, which the Reds certainly did not. And then uh, the Braves obviously were able to get Sandy out of there eventually. But then it was the Braves' bullpen doing it once again. The Marlins' bullpen absolutely could not come in and get the job done. But Braves' bullpen won this game for them again. And if the Braves' bullpen is actually clicking like this in the whole playoffs – I wouldn't be surprised to see the Braves actually make a run and get to the World Series and be a pretty scary team here. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. The I don't think the NL is as wide open as the AL is. I mean, whoever wins this Padres-Dodgers series, I think is going to be the favorite in the in the CS, but it's baseball and anything can happen, and, and the Braves are sort of exercising some demons here. Yeah, I think the Braves give either one of those teams a run for their money, but... Uh, Let's talk a little bit of Yankees Rays, man. The first two games have been pretty much what we thought they were going to be pretty great games and they split this. This seems like it's headed to be a five game series. Would you agree with me on that? I totally agree with you on that. I will disagree heavily with them. The games being what I thought they would be. I did not expect the Garrett Cole Blake Snell game to be the offensive showdown that it ended up being. Um, Both of these offenses are just hitting homers at a ridiculous rate. Dude, Stanton being on fire is that is the number one thing the Yankees fans probably wanted to see, other than maybe like Tanaka catching fire. But uh, on fire, Giancarlo Stanton hitting behind DJ LeMahieu and Aaron Judge in that order is absolutely what the Yankees need, and that takes that offense to a literally a whole different dimension when Giancarlo Stanton is hitting the ball like that. Yeah, I mean, we talked about George Springer for a long time, but Giancarlo Stanton is doing the exact same thing as George Springer and actually I think has more RBIs with the, the grand slam yesterday. And now the home run tonight, do you have two home runs tonight? He had two home runs tonight. They were the only Yankee hits for a while there. <laughs> yeah. This, I mean, this man is just demolishing baseballs left and right. And it's against a raised pitching staff that is as elite as they come. And when Stanton is hitting the Yankees lineup is, is just horrifying but you know we're 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 talking up the Yankees 
all, all this amount and and the Rays just tied up the series today. And I mean, I said it. I liked the Garrett Cole game for the Yankees and I like pretty much every other matchup for the Rays. Do you do you agree with that or like how how do you feel about that? Yeah, I still I'm still not going to be surprised if the if the Yankees are able to win one of these next two and um get the get it to a game 5 where Garrett Cole is probably going to come back on short rest. I think they'll find a way with just the offense hitting right now. Um I did appreciate the game today. The Yankees tried to play a little bit of chess, uh starting Diego Garcia and then ambushing ambushing them with Jay Happ, which I'm not sure anyone really saw coming. Uh, it didn't really work out because, I don't know, you can try to play chess all you want, but it's when Jay Happ is involved, there's always a chance things just go horribly wrong, which is what happened today because Mike Zanino went yard. Man, Manuel Margot is apparently a, a guy we need to be considering right now because he's all of a sudden on fire, just another random raise guy. But, yeah, I think the Yankees still have a chance to steal one of these next two before they get it back to Garrett Cole in a, in a potential Game 5. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And Kevin Cash did not seem super surprised by the J.A. Hat move. I mean, he, he definitely seemed like he didn't know it was coming. But I, in the interview that he had sort of during the game, the the reporter, you know, asked him if if there were if he was, like, wondering if – if Davey Garcia was the real starter and he sort of seemed like he had a little inkling that something was up. And I think that might be why the Rays didn't use that entire lineup of lefties. Like they, like they used in the wildcard series where it was just nine lefties against the righty. Uh, he saved some, some of his pinch hitters. And if he really did see that coming, that is just, you know, tremendous managing for the guy who definitely should be the manager of the year. But Man, I just it's really hard to not like the Rays. I find myself rooting for the Rays so much just because of their payroll and how smart they are. It's it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean it was a it was a good call there by Cash to hold off on all the lefties just with the potential of Hap coming out of the bullpen. Uh I mean, we're gonna record again Friday night, and Friday night is when all these series are gonna be wrapped up. So we're gonna have a lot of that's just gonna be a huge podcast because we're gonna have all the series wrapped up. We're gonna have a lot of football to talk about, but yeah, I mean, the last thing I have to say about the Yankees is Gary Sanchez is just actually horrible. Um, he needs to be put on the bench. I think Higashioka is just a better option at this point. When Sanchez is back there catching, he looks like he's swatting flies when he's trying to frame pitches. <laughs> His at-bats are just – they're just a waste of an at-bat. He's never going to come through. He got one absolutely hanging slider today, and I was like, wow, that's the one pitch that Sanchez should probably do damage on, and he fouled it off and then struck out at like a pitch later and – I just think he needs to be got put to the bench. I know the Yankees fans probably agree with me, but man, yeah, he's killing them. But I'm looking forward to this, see how that series plays out, and we could talk about it more on Friday. Did you did you see the uh, the clip going around of him trying to frame that pitch that went right off his mask? No, he but just, I I saw it live. I think it was horrible. So I mean, that obviously got clipped and sent around. One of our mutual friends sent it to to me in a in a group chat. And I couldn't help but think I'm so glad that I'm out here defending a bunch of dirty cheaters and not Gary Sanchez because I could not handle defending Gary Sanchez. No, I mean, I don't know how you could. Just watching him play the catcher position is kind of just a disgrace to baseball. But uh, the other series that we haven't talked about is the Dodgers and the Padres. It looks like the Dodgers have kind of broken it open here. It's 5-1 to one at going to the eighth inning. So we should probably assume the Dodgers are going to have a 1-0 lead in this series. And 
I mean, that's probably big because they brought in Dustin May to kind of tail off of Walker Bueller. So they kind of burned two of their guys here in this game. So that was definitely a big win for the Dodgers, assuming they can hold on here. Yeah, Dustin May didn't actually go very long, so I think he'll probably be good to go for game three. As I mean, they they could just use him as a as a bridge guy for the entire series, sort of the same way the Astros using Christian Javier. But the the Dodgers were supposed to win this game, especially once Mike Clevenger left in the first inning. I think that's definitely a big storyline. Mike Clevenger got about twenty five pitches in, and then his velo dropped significantly and and he had to be pulled so obviously they rushed him back and he really wanted to help the team and and his body just won't let him do it so now they're they're once again down two pitchers what's the, what's the status on Lamette? he's still hurt right yeah he's not on the he's not on the the series roster so he's not pitching and i saw i saw garrett richards get some bullpen work today so they really are just down to chris paddock and zach davies yeah i mean they're just gonna abuse that bullpen for the whole series and the bullpen it was going pretty well. It looked like it kind of fell apart right as we started to record the podcast, but I, it's just going to be tough for the Padres because the lineup is even with the Dodgers lineup at best, and it just feels like the Dodgers pitching staff with the experience is going to be too much unless we just get some vintage Kershaw meltdowns, which is, I think, the Padres' only hope at this point. Yeah, I mean, we we talked about it last, last baseball pod, or last pod in general, but the the Padres offense can definitely put up the runs. Now it's just a question of can this depleted pitching staff make it work? And I think the answer is no, but this Kershaw start is going to, is going to determine the series more or less. Yeah. The Padres definitely can't afford to fall behind two where they're just have to abuse the bullpen three games in a row to come back. So probably a must win for the Padres tomorrow. We'll be talking about the end of that series on Friday with the rest of them, but then besides that, are you about ready to talk about the four-game baseball slate? Do you have anything, any more big-picture things you want to mention? No, I got no more big-picture things. And actually, it's a really good segue into our four-game baseball slate. This is the, probably the last slate of the year that is actually playable. Uh, neither Aaron nor I really like playing small slates, and four games is about as about as low as you can possibly go and still have enough options to, to make it fun and interesting. And and we're just going to dive right into it with pitcher. We talked about it. Playoff Kershaw, $9,600. Do, do you fully believe in the narrative, or do you think that Clayton Kershaw is your go-to cash bet at $9,600? Um, look, all jokes aside, we did just rank Clayton Kershaw below Pandemic P in our power rankings. But <laughs> uh, in all actuality, I think Kershaw is probably a really good cash, uh, cash lineup pitcher tomorrow. Um, I played around building laps before the pod. You can definitely make a Clayton Kershaw, Ian Anderson cash lineup with a lot of great hitters. Uh, we know the matchup versus the Padres isn't ideal, but man, Kershaw was absolutely dominant in his start against the Brewers last week. He had 13 strikeouts and he went really deep into that game. I think Dave Roberts is going to let him go until he gets into a little bit of trouble, which it could happen against the Padres, but nobody else on the slate has the K upside that Kershaw does. And, I think he has the floor also to a certain extent. On a four-game slate, I think you pretty much have to play Kershaw and Cash. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I agree. Kershaw is going to be one of maybe two or three guys that even has the leash to get you 25 points, even even if they're dominating. So I, I think I'm with you there. I think 
there's only maybe two other ways you could go if you're not taking Kershaw, and it's just taking Tanaka and somebody else who you really believe in. But but in cash especially, he he certainly has the highest floor. Yeah, uh, there's no real argument I have against that. Uh, the next guy is going to be Ian Anderson. He's probably my favorite, you know, pitcher on the slate as far as value goes. I really like him in tournaments and in cash. Uh, like Ian Anderson just isn't some random unproven guy. This guy's a top prospect. He got a handful of starts in the regular season. He pitched well all season long. He absolutely dominated the Reds in his playoff debut. He went really deep into that game. Uh, the matchup versus the Marlins, that's about as good of, of a matchup you can get on a DS slate this late in the season. So I think he's a really good option here against the Marlins at just 8,200 where you can still build a good lineup around him. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't dislike Ian Anderson at all. And if you play Sixto at 8,200, you, you're probably looking at playing Ian Anderson as well. They're, they're prospects of roughly the same pedigree. And Ian Anderson's been in the Brave system for forever. So they definitely know what they have in him. And if they feel so confident to throw him and, and give him that long leash in the playoffs, then there's no reason why we as as fans and as casual gamblers can't take advantage of that. Somebody who who I really like is is Jesus Lazardo for this is probably for tournaments only. We talked about Lazardo has the best stuff on the A's staff and it's not close. The the Oakland already emptied their bullpen Monday and Tuesday because neither Bassett nor Manea could go very deep into the games. So they emptied their whole bullpen besides Hendricks these last two days, including Trevino, including Wendelkin, including Diekman. So Lazardo, I think, is going to be given a pretty long leash by necessity. And he can definitely rack up the strikeouts. He He's actually had both of his best outings of the year were against Houston. And I know this is very eye-testy, but the stuff just looks good against Houston every time I see it. I know that his numbers are down on the year, but I trust him so much more than Fluky Sean Manea. I mean, this is not a pro Manea pod by any means. And Jesus Lazardo has the strikeout upside at 7,500 that – somebody even like Tanaka below him just doesn't have. Yeah, I don't love it as much as you do um, for a couple of reasons is the Astros have one of the lowest strikeout rates in the entire league. I know you mentioned he did have two good starts against them, but now they're getting a third look at him. The Astros just don't strike out a lot, especially with their A lineup um, going in every day. There's a lot of right-handed bats in that lineup. And then you mentioned their bullpen being completely taxed, but I still think, look, this is an elimination game for Oakland. Their season is on the line. So if Lazardo is struggling, I think they're just going to go to the pin just because they literally have to because it's an elimination game. Yeah, I, 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 and I want to stress, this is, a, this is a tournament pick. I'm probably not playing Lazardo in cash because he's been very shaky this year. But the stuff plays, 7,500 is, is a very solid price. And... I think there's certainly a world in which Lazardo goes out and gets you 25 fantasy points at very low ownership. Yeah, I mean, you can't really argue with anyone in tournaments on this small of a slate, but I do want to give a little bit of love to Tanaka here. Um, probably just in tournaments, just because we all saw him put up a zero or he went negative last time out. But look, playoff Tanaka, there's a large enough sample size where I think we can pretty much discount what we saw the last time out, but he put up 20 points um, two times against the Rays this year. The Yankees emptied the bullpen uh, tonight on Tuesday night, so Tanaka will have a little bit of a leash in a 1-1 series right here. If he can work his way out of trouble early, there's a chance he gets in a rhythm. He does have the strikeout stuff against a Rays team that does strike out from time to time. So I do think Tanaka is a pretty good tournament option here. 
to pair with Kershaw to give you one expensive and one cheap pitcher. Yeah, I will say, I think that we talk about it all the time. Come playoff time, hitters just absolutely lock in and pitchers get pulled early. So I don't think pitcher is as important on this slate as they usually are on your typical DraftKings slates. I think you can get away with getting maybe 25, 30 points combined from your pitcher positions as long as you pick your hitters effectively, especially in cash. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough pickings because obviously with your hitters, you're going up against a lot of good pitchers, even though the pitchers aren't too frightening on this slate specifically. But you ready to talk about any of these hitters yet? Yeah, we can we can go straight to catcher. I'm, I know we both love one specific catcher who I sold you on to begin the year, and and I've never been more right. Yep, you sold me on him. I didn't know much about Austin Nola going into the year, but I know a lot about him now because I've watched an insane amount of his at-bats this year. Um, he's $4,000. This is a little bit of a pay-up, but look, on a four-game slate, we can't just punt catcher like we normally do. Uh, people will shy away from Nola here just because he is going up against Kershaw, but if playoff Kershaw goes full playoff Kershaw, uh, Nola is a guy that profiles well against him. So, you know, this is a pro Austin Nola pod, and this could actually be a good spot. I know you agree with me, Ben. Yeah, we we definitely Austin Nola is the exception to the punt catcher pod rule, and I just want to I just want to expand on this a little. Uh, this is actually a fantastic Austin Nola spot. He's been struggling lately, pretty severely. But all of he his hitting profile is that he struggles against high velocity, ninety five and up. But he's a really good hitter against off speed pitches, especially curveballs and sliders. So he matches up really well against a Clayton Kershaw type pitcher. He doesn't really have home run power, especially in an Arlington ballpark that sort of plays to the pitcher now. But on a small slate, twelve points from your catcher from an RBI double and maybe scoring a run, that could definitely top the leaderboard. Yeah, I agree, which is why we like Austin Nola on this slate. Um, another guy I like is Sean Murphy. We saw him hit a home run so far in this series. Um, Urquidy, while you know he is someone to be respected a little bit, he is one of the more hittable pitchers on the slate. Um, I do think Sean Murphy is a decent option here at 3700 just a little bit of a discount from Austin Nola in a, probably a better matchup, just overall Urquidy as opposed to Kershaw. Yeah, and Sean Murphy just has the home run power, which is rare in catchers and especially rare for catchers on this slate. I think Murphy probably has the most power on the slate and at like at the catcher position at all. And Jose Urquidy, while he has had some great playoff performances, is, uh, you said it, he's one of the more hittable pitchers on the slate. He's going to give you 93, 94 and usually in the strike zone. So if it's it's just a, a matter of if Sean Murphy's going to take him over the yard or not in this daytime Dodger Stadium that plays like Coors. And I will say if if you are looking to punt catcher because you've been listening to the punt catcher pod and you you've been cashing your lineups because you you believe in our in our strategy, I think Chad Wallach is probably the way to go at 2300. Ian Anderson could always lose command. I mean, he's a young pitcher. Chad Wallach could be in the middle of a big inning or two. He's going to hit ninth for the Marlins. Jorge Alfaro has been banished to the backup catcher role, and and Wallach is going to get three or four at-bats in in this game at $2,300. Yep, I definitely don't hate that. Anytime you can get a catcher at 2300 on a four-game slate, all you need is just like an RBI single, and the rest of your lineup will be in a pretty good spot. With that, are you ready to go on first base? 
Yeah, I will also say, if it is Jorge Alfaro, for whatever reason, he, he hasn't started a single playoff game, but if they decide to do it, Alfaro's only 2,700, and it's going to be the same the same concept. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you want to start at the top here at first base? Yeah, I know that you won't say Freddie Freeman because you have a, a mental block when it comes to Freddie Freeman because he costs you your entire life, but... I'll do it for you. I think Freddie Freeman is a good play at, at $5,000. Um, Pablo Lopez is good, but Freddie Freeman is just an elite hitter and he can take anybody yard at any time. So if you're going to pay up at first base, I like Freddie Freeman. I also like Matt Olson at 4,600. We've seen that the ball is just flying daytime Dodger stadium. It's a real thing. So Urquidy has an elite changeup that he uses against lefties, but if Olson can just get a hittable fastball somewhere in the air, I think you're looking at 14 points and, um, again, small slate. You're just looking for the home runs that are going to launch you to the top because not a whole lot of people are going to get, are going to get them. Yeah. Matt Olson definitely has one of the highest ceilings, um, on this slate at the first base position. One guy that I really like is going to be G man Choi. He's only $3,100, which is really good savings for a first base position on this slate. Uh, we know Tanaka does, is a guy that gives us some long balls from time to time. We saw G man Choi, um, hit a lot of home runs against his son, Garrett Cole. Uh, he obviously has a little bit of a different matchup here against Tanaka, but Choi has shown the power upside lately, and we know Tanaka has the ability to give up homers. So I definitely don't mind Choi here at 3,100 in cash, maybe. Yeah, and I think the last call at first base is going to be my Yulieski Gurriel call. He's only 3,200, so a little bit more than Choi. Okay, so Yuli's been horrible lately, just from the stat sheet, but... he's he's been barreling balls up it's just that the power is completely gone from his swing for whatever reason I don't know if he's just getting old or if his hand is still hurt but Yuli rakes left-handed pitching and Jesus Lazardo throws 96 and it's daytime Dodger Stadium so hopefully those two things can supply the power that just seems to be gone because he's still putting together good at-bats and he's still barreling the ball it just seems to be going straight to the warning track where these outfielders are, are flagging it down so all you need is a, is a, is 15 extra feet from Yuli, and I think that if there was ever conditions for that to happen, it would be tomorrow. Yeah, I agree with that. I think if you're looking to stack a team, I think the Astros are definitely a good team to take a chance on to stack in case Lazardo just kind of blows up, and then you get to these A's bullpen arms who the Astros have seen a lot of lately and they're just going to be naturally worn down. So I think a lineup where you can stack up a lot of these Astros righties is definitely in play. And with that, I'm ready to move on to second base. It's a short slate. We don't have too many plays to give out. Uh, you ready to go to second base? Yep, go for it. All right. Uh, I'm going to talk about Ozzy Albies here. I'm not allowed to man- mention Freddie Freeman just because I have to stay on brand. But I do like the Brave stack as a whole today. I think Albies, while he is 4,900, second base is terrible yet again. So I think this is a spot where you might just have to pay up for Ozzy Albies. And if that offense gets rolling, which it finally broke out today, I think Albies is a guy that could be right in the middle of all the action and potentially give you a home run in Minute Maid Park. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and you know, Albies being a switch hitter is is beneficial, especially because both of the corners at Minute Maid are, are pretty short. Um, just pulling the ball in Minute Maid Park is, is almost always a good idea, no matter what handedness you are. So I, I definitely like Ozzy Albies as well. And he always goes overlooked because that lineup has Freddie Freeman and Ronald Acuna is in it. And Albies is just sort of a little overshadowed. So definitely as a tournament play, especially for me. 
Yeah, and speaking of Albies going overlooked, one of the reasons he might go overlooked tomorrow is because DJ LeMahieu is just $100 more. Uh, he comes in at $5,000. I mentioned it, second base is bad. It'll be really easy for people to convince themselves just to pay the 5000 for LeMahieu because he has a good of a floor and upside combo as anybody. He's going to get you a couple singles at the worst. He's got the home run potential if he gets a couple pitches he can handle. So I definitely don't hate the idea of paying up for DJ here because there's very limited options at second base. I think you can kind of just eat the chalk here with LeMahieu and try to get creative at other places with your tournament lineups. Yeah, uh, I know that you don't like second base very much, but I'm here to tell you, not you, but the listeners, that this is the Joey Wendell, Joey Barrels special. I know two things in this world, one of which is Randy or Rosarena, and the other is Joey Wendell days. And this is a Joey Wendell day, if there ever was one, uh, right here, just off a of Tanaka splitter. His bat speed is so good. His his pitch recognition is is fairly is fairly good. He, he hits six in the lineup. I expect a home run off Tanaka from Joey Wendell at $3,500. Ooh, the bold call. $3,500 at second base. That could be a I, tournament I, winner. I will say Wendell is also third base eligible, but I think the ideal lineup here is to put him at second because there's some third basemen that I actually do like on this slate, and I think the only second baseman I truly love is DJ LeMayhew, and if you want to avoid the chalk, Joey Wendell, in my opinion is a good pivot from Ozzy Albies, especially if you want to save some money. Yeah, I think you just sold me on Joey Wendell, so definitely got to mix him into some of your tournament lineups. But yeah, you mentioned him being third base eligible, but there are some other third basemen who I am certainly inclined to play. And my top one is probably going to be Alex Bregman. I mentioned possibly stacking up the uh, the Houston right-handed bats. Bregman is, you know kind of the poster boy of a Houston right-handed hitter that can do some damage in this game. We saw him hit a home run the other day. It's a left-handed batter. It's going to be daytime Dodger Stadium. He's heating up. I think Bregman's probably my cash game third baseman. Just $4,100. Not a bad price at all. He also... Jesus Lozardo is sort of the type of pitcher that Alex Bregman hits the fastball off of. The 3-4 slot from a lefty, like the Chris Sale type, I've I've seen Bregman hit those guys so often from from Chris Sale to to Blake Snell, especially in the playoffs. That is just definitely a narrative. Uh, I I also like the Bregman call a lot. Daytime Dodger Stadium. Uh, but speaking of speaking of the Dodgers, I also like Justin Turner. The problem is he's four hundred dollars more. I think people are going to shy away from Turner. I think he's a good tournament pivot. There's so many Dodgers lefties to take against Zach Davies that I think p- people are going to forget about Justin Turner. But Zach Davies, to me, is just the type of pitcher to slightly miss somewhere in the zone one time. And Justin Turner loves making pitchers pay on those exact pitches, especially since, you know, Davies throws 88. So Turner at 4,500 is my is my tournament pivot, but I agree Bregman is is the cash game play. Yeah, I actually really like the Turner call as a tournament pivot. Um, he is definitely going to go overlooked, especially since he's in kind of a mini slump right now, but... I don't know. Justin Turner is just such a solid hitter. He's not a guy that we really think is going to go into this really long, prolonged slump. And I think tomorrow against Zach Davies and the Padres bullpen, which he got a good look at today, could definitely be a day where he breaks out of the slump and gets you, you know, 20 DraftKings points and potentially wins you a tournament. So I do like that. One other third baseman I would like to mention is going to be Austin Riley. I mentioned the Braves. Uh, Austin Riley is a good way to get really cheap exposure to the Braves stack. He's only $2,900, so he really allows a lot 
for the rest of your lineup. I think he puts one in the Crawford boxes tomorrow. I think he hits a home run off Pablo Lopez. And I, yeah, I'm definitely mixing in some Austin Riley at just 2,900 bucks. Uh, can I interest you in an Austin Riley, Joey Wendell home run gentleman's bet? Ooh, but you also kind of sold me on Wendell. <laughs> oh, hmm. I mean, you don't, you don't have to take it. All right. How about we take it a step further? How about we do, I get G-Man Choi and Austin Riley, and you can have Wendell and Yuli, and we combine the points. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll take that. All right. Put it on the board. We'll, that'll be the tiebreaker. Someone will go up 2-1. All right. Yep. So <laughs> you got anything else for me at third base besides that gentleman's bet we just locked in? Nope, nothing at third base. We can move on to shortstop where uh, I noticed just off first impression, Fernando Tatis is only $4,700, which is – I know Tatis hasn't been as electric lately as he was sometime during the regular season, but this is like pretty cheap for Tatis against a lefty. I know it's Kershaw, but it's a lefty. And I mean, if you buy into the sad Kershaw narrative, then I really like the Tatis play, but there's definitely a chance that Kershaw sets him down three times and then it's the bullpen. Man. Yeah. Tatis is definitely a guy that could just make Kershaw look very sad. Right. Can you just picture That's what I'm thinking. You just see Tatis just launching a ball like simultaneously Kershaw just gets that broken neck, like hunched back look. Meanwhile, Tatis is just bat flipping it into oblivion. I can see that happening. Right. Yeah. You sound like you're enjoying this fantasy a little too much. I'm going to move on to, uh, <laughs> to Marcus Simeon at 4,100, who I think is my probably shortstop play that I'm going for in cash. I think there's a lot of ways to go on shortstop on this slate, but Simeon had a lot of really good at bats against Framber Valdez, it was just some nasty curves to end that bat that it's hard to get that perfect swing on. Jose Urquidy is a lot more hittable for a guy like Simeon who has tremendous bat-to-ball skills. And I just think that Simeon has a high floor in this matchup. I, I would not be surprised if he went two for four, maybe a home run in there. So I remember you called out the Simeon against Keiko home run last episode. I'm not going to call out a home run, but I think Simeon has a, has a decent day against Jose Urquidy. Yeah, watching a lot of Simeon this year, this is probably the best he's looked at the plate all season long. He finally looks comfortable up there. Um, I do say I think I like Carlos Correa, $100 cheaper, a little bit more. He's just playing like an angry man lately. We saw him kind of put the dagger in the Twins in the last series. I think he could potentially do the same thing here against Oakland in an elimination game. Um, He's just playing like an angry man right now, and he's not that expensive. It's against a lefty. It's only 4000 the ball has been flying out of that park like crazy. So I think I like Correa a little more, but Simeon Correa, I don't really think you can go wrong with either one here. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the problem with paying up for Tatis is you have those two options for cheaper than him, and I might like him more. Yeah, and then uh, one other guy is Dansby. Just if, you want, yeah. if you're going with the Brave stack, Dansby's only 3,800, and he hit the home run today, and he could potentially steal you a base as well. How do you feel about Glaber Torres on this slate? I, Charlie Morton just hasn't looked the same all year to me. I don't know if – I'm not loving a Yankees stack, but Torres is pretty cheap. Yeah, Morton hasn't looked the same as normal, but I don't really think Glaber's looked the same either. I don't – he just doesn't look as confident up there. Like, he drew a couple walks today, which is, you know, kind of his thing. He has really good plate discipline usually. But – I don't know. I'm not, I just haven't been love what I'm seeing so far from Glaber. It is not an ideal matchup with Morton. He still does have the good breaking ball, even if he's been a little off this year. So I'm probably going to pass. 
But if you are going to go with a contrarian Yankee stack, I think you can definitely include him. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And, and the pricing certainly helps, but that, that's a good point. The Glaber also has not looked the same this year at all. Yeah, I'm probably just playing him in a Yankee stack, which I'm probably not even doing a Yankee stack. So probably not for me, but I'm ready to move on to outfield here if you are. Yep, go for it. All right, uh, start at the top. Look, there's obviously a lot of good options at outfield at the top, every single slate. So I'm just going to try to pick one as my favorite, and I think that's going to be Mookie Betts. He is the most expensive one. He's $5,700. But look, we know Davies isn't going to overpower anyone. He's especially not going to overpower Mookie Betts. I could just see Mookie knocking the ball all around that massive outfield at the new Rangers stadium. He could be flying around the bases. He could be stealing bases. He's going to be scoring runs. I do think there's a little bit of a chance that the Dodgers just completely break the slate and put up like nine to 10 runs on Davies in this tax bullpen. And if that's the case, man, Mookie Betts is going to be right in the middle of it. So if you have the money to spend up at outfield, Mookie Betts is probably the high price guy that I'm going to go with. Yeah. Yeah. You can't go wrong with, with Mookie and, and 57 is a lot, but it's, it's not as much as he is. Sometimes I remember he's been 63 at points during the year. So Davies is not the ideal matchup, but it's certainly not anything to be scared of. I I agree. No. And then my next guy is going to be Marcelo Zuna. He's 4,700. Look, everyone, when they're filling out their lineup, they're going to see red hot George Springer above him at 4,800. And everyone, I think, is just going to be inclined to click on Springer, who's just been on fire lately. But I think that gives Ozuna a really good chance to go under-owned. I really like the Braves in this spot. I really like Ozuna in this ballpark. I could easily see Ozuna hitting two home runs. So I really like him as a tournament pivot off of what I think is going to be a chalky George Springer. It's hard to project ownership too much, but... I think Ozuna, Ozuna could go overlooked here, kind of sandwiched right in between Springer and Stanton. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned it. Stanton is right under him. That dude is just absolutely red hot murdering baseballs. He's only $4,400. He could definitely do it again off Charlie Morton, for sure, or anybody in the league. So at a pretty low price point, I think Stanton at 4400 is going to be owned a lot in cash. If you want to avoid him in tournaments, that's certainly your prerogative, but... I like Stan at that price. I also like Mark Canna at 4000 Maybe not quite as much, but Mark Canna's just been way too quiet this far. thus far. He's I, he's a very patient hitter, but then he usually hits a home run every now and then, and he really could not figure out Fromber's curveball. It was actually a little funny to watch. He, he didn't come within a foot of hitting that pitch, but Jose Urquidy is not Frommer. He does not have that same ridiculous curveball. I think he probably runs into something from Urquidy at, at 4,000. Yeah, I don't hate that call at all. Um, another guy from that game I like is going to be Kyle Tucker. Look, I've been talking about the Astros right-handed bats, which I think will be a somewhat popular tournament option for a lot of players. But I think one way you could get creative with your Astros stack is going to be including Kyle Tucker. Uh, Ben's talked about it before. He is fine versus lefties. He's very capable of hitting a home run versus a lefty. And if he gets on base late in game versus a righty, he's going to probably try to steal and he's probably going to get there. So I think Kyle Tucker's probably going to go overlooked just because it is lefty lefty. But look, he might get one at bat versus Lazardo, and then it's, you know, the bullpen for the rest of the game. So I do think Kyle Tucker always has the tournament upside at 3,700. Yeah. I I think it's important to note, even in the game today, there was, a ridiculously pivotal play in the game actually where Correa hits a very sharp ground ball to 
shortstop with runners on first and third and one out would be a double play 99% of the time, but Kyle Tucker happened to be running on that exact pitch. And so even in the playoffs, this man is taken off. He's going to take off if he gets on base, especially against a righty. You're right. And the, the home run stolen base upside is always pretty big, especially once you get down below four grand. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree. I'm in on Kyle Tucker tomorrow. Uh, Ben, you are the whisperer. Are we playing $3,600 Randy tomorrow? (laughs) I'm going to be honest. Tanaka sort of seems like the pitcher who can outthink my boy Randy. Uh, I look at, I look at Randy Rosarana sort of like a young George Springer type and that Tanaka splitter. When I, when I think about Tanaka throwing the splitter against a young George Springer, it definitely would have fooled him back then. All that said, 3600 is a tough price to pass up, and I probably would take Randy over just about anyone else at this price besides maybe Chris Davis at 3400 because if history repeats itself, he's going to homer in his first at-bat of the game again because this is now getting ridiculous. He just keeps getting cookies, and he's not missing them. No, and if Arkady gives him another one, I wouldn't be surprised that if he launches another one in that stadium, but – Another A that I think is in play here is $100 cheaper. He's $3,300, and that's going to be Robbie Grossman. Uh, look, Grossman just had a really a really solid Robbie Grossman year for this team. Uh, he is capable of hitting a home run. He likes to steal if he gets on base in a good spot. So I think $3,300 is definitely not a bad price for Robbie Grossman, who they desperately need someone to break out in that offense. I think Grossman could be that guy tomorrow. Plus, it's a very stale revenge game narrative. If you're interested in that, oh, I do like a little bit of revenge. I don't know. I don't know if Grossman is a vengeful guy, but <laughs> maybe we'll find out tomorrow. I don't know. Uh, I got I got two more plays for you, and then we're gonna get out of here. I like Tommy Pham at 3,200. Tommy Pham is an elite hitter. This is playoff Kershaw. This is probably just adding on to a Padre stack if you're if you want it. He's priced down because he was hurt all year, but don't let the $3,200 price tag fool you. This man is a very good bat-to-ball hitter. There's a chance that the Padres just get a lot of offense, and then the the sad Kershaw vibe narrative is just sealed in stone, and we get another another picture to meme. That would be, that'd be good. That would make my day. And then the last one, I called it a while ago, Corey Dickerson, still too cheap, 2900 He is still the best hitter on the Marlins besides Garrett Cooper. Uh, he's definitely the best lefty. This is a lefty on righty matchup. He's $2,900, still cheap. If you have your perfect lineup and no money left over, I think Corey Dickerson is going to get you 10 fantasy points or more and could bring you right to the promised land. So that's all I got. Aaron, you got any more? No, I mean, both those guys give you a lot of flexibility in your lineup to kind of pay up for a Mookie, pay up in other spots. So I do like those calls. Um, and with that, that is a done. Probably the last baseball slate we're breaking down this year. Uh, I would just say, you know, if you guys like the pod, you can share it with your friends that listen to DFS and like to play DFS. Go ahead and do that. Give us the like and the five-star review on iTunes. And uh, interact with us on Twitter at Cash Landing Pod. Send us screenshots of your winning lineups. You know, send us some questions that you have or just talk to us in general. But, yeah, I would just say good luck to everyone making their lineups tomorrow and just enjoy the amazing baseball we're going to get over the next couple of days. And we will be back on Friday talking about a lot of baseball and a lot of football. I put the over under around like an hour, 45 minutes on that podcast. When you say, <laughs> yes, yeah, so probably some, uh, some, some around there. Yeah. We got a lot of, uh, a lot of good, you know, screenshots of winnings over the weekend. Those are always fun to, 
fun to look at. So definitely interact with us on Twitter and um, Aaron closed us out real well. I got nothing else to say. So uh, I, we will see you guys on Friday, Saturday, whatever day it is.